You're listening to A Playful Podcast, where I talk about everything from the wonders of messy play to stories from my wonderful but messy life. I'm Mariah, and I'm the creator of A Playful Purpose, Learning for Littles, and I'm so glad you found me. All right, let's get this party started. Welcome back, everyone. We're at episode six of A Playful Podcast, and today's episode is all about kinder science which, fun fact, is actually the name of one of the preschool camps that I ran back in the day at the Glebe Community Center. I actually ran it with my brother, and it was one of the most fun weeks of my time as a camp coordinator because it was the only time we ever got to work together, even though we worked in the same building, because they tended to keep siblings in separate camps to avoid any potential dramas between siblings. But we absolutely loved working together, and it was a super fun week of science with littles aged 2 to 5. But before we dive into today's episode, I'm just going to start with our usual weekly check-in where I tell you a little bit about what's going on in my life and in a playful purpose life. So I know for weeks I've been talking to you a bit about Andrew's sleep and that it's been quite the roller coaster and the roller coaster continues, but it seems we're on a really big high right now and I'm so, so grateful for this change. I'm actually going to do a whole episode on it next week because I alternate between personal and professional episodes on this podcast and next week's a personal episode. And I really feel like it's time to talk about this kind of journey we've been on since he was born and how his sleep has directly affected my mental health. We actually started working with a sleep consultant after weeks and weeks of trying to figure it out on our own. And within days, the improvement on his sleep, his mood, and my mental health is not even comparable to how it was a few weeks ago. So I'll definitely explain more about that next week and kind of everything that's been going on in terms of his sleep and both sides of the coin. Because I know it's a really controversial issue and I can say that we've lived both sides. Anywho, that's the Andrew sleep update that I guess I basically start each podcast with now. In terms of other things going on in our life, nothing too big. We're gearing up for my mom's visit by doing a big basement cleanup since that's where our guest room is. And I love a purge session. I share about this all the time, but just nothing makes me feel more energized and more excited than going through our stuff and creating a donation pile and putting stuff on buy nothing groups and clearing out our space. And we've been accumulating a lot of stuff lately just through having the baby and he's growing out of stuff I'm putting in the basement. So it's definitely time for a big basement overhaul and get that space ready for her. I'm also hoping that we'll be able to paint it before her visit. Now that our evenings are a lot more predictable with Andrew going to bed and staying asleep for the entire night, we're able to sort of plan these projects that are timely and time consuming because before I didn't even know when I could start a painting project because obviously painting is a lot of setup, a lot of cleanup, but I didn't want to only have like half an hour to start painting. But now we kind of know starting at 6, 6.30 p.m. we can take on these big projects. So probably next week when Dave is on days, we'll start doing that. painting and getting everything nice and refreshed and ready for my mom's visit. In terms of a playful purpose life, I did a teaser last night for my new sensory mini kits. I'm launching a new collection called the Small But Mighty Collection. And these are going to be a series of three mini play kits of various themes. They're all going to be under $20. In fact, they're more like the $15 range. One is a fairy tale set complete with glitter fairy peg people. One is a candy set with the most adorable little candy loose parts. And the third one is kind of like the OG rainbow sensory kit, but in mini form. And I'm going to have a bundle where if you get all three of them, you'll get a bin to put them in. But otherwise, the mini kits don't come with a little bin. They're just easier to mail and easier to keep at a more affordable price point. 
That being said, there's only eight of the fairy tale kits, which means that the bundle limitations is limited by how many of those kits are available, which means you should definitely get on the drop list. There's a link in my Instagram bio just so that when I send out the email that the shop is open, you don't miss the drop. I've been able to be a lot more productive lately now that Andrew's napping longer and more consistently, which means I am finally working on that goal I mentioned in my goals episode about finishing up my play packets before December 1st. My play packets are a membership program that I run where every month you get a printable play packet based on various themes. And before Andrew was born, I had made the first six months of this membership because I knew that I'd be really busy when he was born. And I figured I could get the rest of it done after he was here and we'd settled in. Well, that time is now and I'm coming up on when those are due. So I just have a little bit more left in them and I'm definitely going to be done them by the end of the week, which is really exciting because then I can just cross it off my to-do list and move on to other projects that I'm finding a little bit more inspiring. So that's everything for the weekly check-in. Nothing too major going on. We've really just been focused on getting into new routines and enjoying time as a family and really settling into this new season of our life. This podcast is coming to you out on Remembrance Day, so special thank you to everyone who either is in a military family or who serves in the military themselves. Just a big thank you from our military family to yours. And without further ado, let's jump into today's topic, which is kinder science. Fun fact, I actually have a Bachelor of Science, and I mentioned this in my intro video, where when I first went off to university, I thought I was going to be a vet, and I started in animal biology, and then in second or third year, I can't exactly remember, I switched to a general bio-sci degree. And before I decided I was going to become a teacher, I actually was toying with the idea of going to get my Master's of Science. I went to the University of Guelph, and I found my Bachelor of Science really challenging, but it is something I'm very, very proud of. But my goal here today is to really motivate you and reassure you that you do not need a Bachelor of Science in order to effectively teach science to your kinders in a really engaging way. There are a lot of barriers that people feel and that people face when it comes to teaching science. And these barriers are things like a lack of supplies, both scientific and just regular everyday supplies that you need to conduct sort of kitchen science experiments. A lack of knowledge of the safety that it takes and a lack of confidence in that safety. And then just general lack of confidence in regards to knowledge and the ability to execute science lessons in a way that's meaningful and fun and educational for our littles. But I want to start by saying that you as the educator are not the keeper of knowledge. Your job is not to stand at the front of the classroom and deliver a lesson on any topic and be this kind of all-knowing source for your littles. In fact, it's extremely beneficial if you don't position yourself as the expert. When you position yourself as the expert, your littles learn to ask you questions and to get an answer directly and then kind of move on without much further thought. If you are modeling how to research and look up answers and ask questions, they are learning that they don't know the answer to something, they can seek it out. And they're learning how to question and seek out answers, which are really important parts of the scientific method and just in learning in general. You've probably noticed on my A Playful Purpose Instagram that this month I'm focusing on STEM, and so I thought it was the perfect time to kind of talk about the three ways that I like to teach science in kindergarten. The three ways we're going to talk about in this episode are using demos, using visual prompts, and then open-ended exploration. When we're talking about these kind of science demos, this is probably what you're traditionally thinking of, where it's an educator-led science experiment, and your littles are all gathered around and watching what happens. After I talk to you a bit about demos, I'm going to then teach you about using visual prompts. And visual prompts are also educator-led, but really your students are going to determine the direction that these science talks take. So 
So while it starts out educator-led like the demos do, it ends up being student-led as the discussion progresses. And finally, we're going to talk about a completely student-led option, which is open-ended exploration. And this is probably going on a lot more than you realize in your classroom, but noticing and naming it is going to help you feel a lot more confident in your science program. So you're going to notice I'm not talking about a formal science center in this podcast, and that's because I can honestly say I have never had success with a science center in my classroom. If you have, please let me know how you made it be successful, because honestly, every single time I set it up, it just sat there collecting dust. Maybe a couple littles would be interested in it for one playbook, maybe a day, maybe they would pop in and out, but truly it was just an area of our classroom that took up space and essentially collected dust. I tried so many different things to get them over to this area, and even if it was directly related to our inquiry, it just didn't work out. They just weren't really that engaged in playing in that center or in learning at that center. I've tried putting out things for them to observe. I've tried putting out hands-on experiments. I've tried putting out more like exploration type bins and drawing materials and all sorts of different things, but really it was just an underutilized area of our classroom, and I would always end up swapping it for something that was a better use of space because one of the things that we all know is true is that real estate in kindergarten is everything. And we need to be able to have as much space as possible so that our littles can spread out because when they spread out, they have more room to learn and there's less likelihood of conflict and behavior issues. Let's start talking about these three ways you can teach science to your kinders. And we're going to start with demos, which again is like that classic way of thinking about teaching science where you'll pick a kitchen science experiment, something like vinegar and baking soda, and you will perform the experiment in front of the class while everyone watches. This is great as a circle time or during outdoor learning or even as a small group if you want to pull them over in little groups of maybe three to six students and perform the same experiment over and over again. This is a great option when you're using more expensive supplies or supplies that are not necessarily kinder safe for them to be handling themselves. For example, if you were doing elephant toothpaste and needed to use hydrogen peroxide, we obviously don't want our littles to be handling hydrogen peroxide and it's much safer for us as the adult to perform the experiment and to have them observe it. It's also great with materials that are safe like food coloring, but that can lead to staining and messes over themselves and over our room. What I like to do is involve the littles as much as possible in order to extend the learning as much as possible. If you simply gather everyone up, perform the experiment, and send them on their merry way, you're missing out on a lot of rich learning opportunities and ways to really engage them with the scientific method. I like to teach the scientific method right away, and it's really not as intimidating as it sounds. To do this, I use science journals, which I've shared on my Instagram. They're available on my TPT store, but you don't have to use these journals. You can use any sort of open-ended book, or you can even work as a whole group. Like I said, the scientific method sounds really intimidating, but it's really just the process that we go through as scientists in order to think through an experiment and conclude results. So to do this, before you even start the experiment, you're going to pause and list out all the materials that you'll be using that day. You can put them out in front of you and get your littles to identify any of them that they recognize. If they're safe, you can pass them around and they can look at them before the experiment has even begun. This gets their wheels turning and it helps them in the future to innovate their own ideas because they get to see the process from start to finish. Once you've looked at all the materials, you're going to ask them to make a hypothesis. And it's really fun to teach them the word hypothesis because it's a really big fancy word and they feel like real scientists when they use it. So you'll get them to make a hypothesis about what the question you're trying to answer about your experiment is. You can write this on a chart paper, they can record it in their journals, or you can just take their ideas aloud. Next up in the scientific process, you're going to write down predictions about what you think is going to happen. 
This is another great one for them to write down either in their science journal or for you to be recording as a whole group on a chart paper. It's really interesting to see what they think is going to happen given the materials that they know are being used. A lot of the time it helps you see kind of their prior knowledge and prior experiences and how they link that to the current scenario. Next, you're going to record observations while the experiment is happening. And it's helpful if you can do the demo more than once, especially if it has a really exciting result because they'll be so captivated that they won't necessarily be in the right mindset to pause and record results right away. They'll be so hyped up and wanting to see it again. So if you can duplicate the experiment and do it a second time, then the initial awe and wow factor has diminished a bit, which will allow them to record what they're seeing and draw the observations. And finally, they're going to make a conclusion about what happened. This kind of answers that hypothesis question that we made at the beginning. This process is really easy to include in your science lesson, and it's really beneficial because it creates active listeners with our littles, which increases participation and, of course, decreases behavior. When everyone's engaged and listening in what's going on, then their focus is on you and less likely to be on bothering the person next to them in their circle spot. One of the barriers with this is definitely running out of supplies that you need to do these demos. So depending on what the kind of climate of your school is and what the protocols are at your school, you could always ask for donations specifically for science. And I find that when we are honest about what we need our supplies for, parents are a lot more likely and a lot more keen to donate them to our classroom, especially when the things are something that they likely already have in their home and don't even need to go out and buy. It's pretty common that someone would have an extra box of baking soda in their cupboard. When we specifically ask for a list of science supplies, in my experience, you'll notice a larger influx of donations coming into your room. Another barrier is honestly just running out of ideas or running out of the stamina to keep planning science demos. And one thing I've found really successful is asking for parent volunteers to help with this. And this could be either virtual where they send in a video or maybe they go on a Zoom call with you, or they could actually come into your classroom. When we offer a specific invitation to our parent communities, it's a lot easier for them to accept the invitation and come into our classrooms. I've had it many times where at the beginning of the year I've said, if you ever want to come in and talk about something or volunteer with the class, please let me know. And no one really takes me up on it. But that's because this is kind of an intimidating offer. It's too open-ended. So when we're more specific with our parents and say, we're looking for people to come in and do a simple science experiment in front of the class, it increases their confidence and it increases their interest. It's an easy entry point into the classroom. This also takes that lesson planning off of you, takes the purchasing of supplies off of you, and just brings a different adult, a different perspective into the classroom, which is very valuable for our learners. The next thing we're going to talk about is the use of visual prompts for your science lessons. And this is great when you don't have the capacity for demos. And this capacity could be limited by you just being burnt out and exhausted from planning and from behavior and from the day-to-day -day life of teaching kindergarten. But it could also be because you forgot to go out and buy supplies or you didn't have time to go out and buy supplies and then suddenly you realize it's your science block and you are not ready. It's also great for when you need a quick change of plans, for example, if you've been planning to do a demo outside but now it's raining, or if something comes up in your schedule, like there's an assembly at the last minute and you don't have time to do the full scientific method demo, but you still want to do something quick and easy for your science lesson that day. There's kind of two options that I like for this visual prompt method. First of all, you can present an odd object to your littles. Odd objects I've presented in the past include a wasp nest, a weird shaped vegetable that I found at the grocery store, a piece of scuba diving equipment from my dad, and a bird's nest. But you can also use a visual prompt like a photo or a video. 
And a great example of a video would be the National Geographic Kids Collection on YouTube. They have lots of awesome videos about how things work and kind of common questions that littles have about science. And how I like to teach using this visual prompt is to share the initial exposure to this element, to this object or video or photo. And then I like to gather guesses about what on earth it is. And these guesses are sometimes right on the nose and sometimes they're out of this world. So it's really fun to kind of go around the room and take some guesses about what it is we're talking about that day. And again, this is a great way to link prior experiences and kind of see where our students are at in terms of what they know and what they've seen before in their lives. After I've gathered up their guesses, which is kind of like that prediction phase of the scientific method, then I like to share the information about what it is. And again, you do not need to be the keeper of knowledge and the expert on this odd object or video. You just share what you know, you can share what you've looked up, and you can see what questions come up from that. And these follow-up questions are going to guide where the rest of your discussion takes you. If you don't know the answer to a question, perfect. Be honest with them, say you don't know, and write down their question. You can either then live look up the answer by doing a quick Google search, or you can model writing it down and then looking up the answer and bringing it back to them later in the day. Modeling learning and modeling the research process is really valuable for our littles. At the end of this discussion and kind of the gathering of questions, maybe you've had time to look up some answers. Maybe you're going to do that at a later time. I like to consolidate by having my littles draw what they learned and draw what they saw. So this is that observation and conclusion piece kind of tied into one. And it's just nice to have something tangible to take away from this more open-ended discussion. These drawings can be taken home to help them have a bridge to the school day when their parents ask what they did that day, or they can be displayed on the wall, or they can just be part of their science journal themselves. So those are both more formal science blocks of your day where the educator is going to be guiding the discussion and it's a more planned out process. The final way you'll be working on science with your littles is through open-ended exploration. And this is more just the day-to-day learning that's going on all the time in our classroom. And this is what I was mentioning, it's likely already happening a lot without you even realizing it, but by naming it, you're going to feel a lot more confident in what's going on in your room. For example, at the sensory table, there's a lot of science going on. They're working on forces, they're working on mathematical concepts, and they're exploring different textures and different experiences with their hands. This is all part of science. Science is truly just exploration, asking questions, and seeking answers. We often think it has to be about the natural world, but that's not entirely the case. We can, of course, focus on the natural world and that more biological, ecological science frame, especially during outdoor learning. When we're playing outside and observing what's going on around us or going on a nature walk or just digging in the sand, there's a lot of scientific method and a lot of scientific processing going on. You can also have science at your tabletops. And I have found that if I just take whatever I had kind of planned to put at my unsuccessful science table, but spread it out onto a tabletop in the middle of the room, and if I'm able to sit down at that center and engage with it a little bit, that the participation and engagement skyrockets compared to at that dusty science table over in the corner or by the window or whatever I had tried to put it. And in your open-ended exploration, your science could be planned by having intentionally picked supplies, or maybe you've modeled it in a demo, but now you're letting them have their own turn at running the experiment. Or it could be kind of accidental and reflective in the moment. And this is when you would notice a potential science inquiry starting and you'd roll with it. 
A great example of this is when I was outside for outdoor learning and I noticed that a bunch of my students were really fascinated by looking for bugs that were crawling all around our yard. So I downloaded an app that was a bug identifier and we spent the outdoor learning block going around and trying to take photos and learning about these bugs. If you get the Seek app, you can actually switch it to French mode, which is really helpful for our French educators out there. This was not what I'd planned for outdoor learning that day, but when I saw their interest, I decided to roll with it and embrace that sort of insect behavior and insect knowledge building opportunity. This open-ended exploration is really happening regularly, and it's quite passive compared to the other methods I explained today, but it still creates really valuable science learning opportunities and is very engaging for our littles. In fact, all three of these methods are really strong ways to include science in your programming, and none of them are better than the other. There's no perfect formula by how many times you need to be doing science demos and how many times you should be using visual prompts and how much you should be relying on just that open-ended exploration. It's really up to you and the kind of things that your littles are interested in and engaged with. I know that I personally loved doing science demos, but that I found it to be just too much to have them weekly. I didn't like having to gather up all the supplies and do all the planning for that. So I would do science demos more like once every two weeks or once a month. And then the rest of the time I would focus on that visual prompt about once a week and then the open-ended exploration whenever it came up. Again, it's all about finding whatever works for you, your planning, your interests, and of course, your class. Like I mentioned earlier in this episode, November is all about STEM at a playful purpose, so make sure you're following my Instagram. And if you turn on post notifications, then you'll get a little alert whenever I put something up there, which will help you with your science, technology, engineering, math, and art planning throughout the month. I've also been featuring different products from my TPT store that will really make your life a lot easier in regards to STEM this month. And I hope this podcast has kind of encouraged you or maybe inspired you to bring a little bit more science into your classroom, because I've noticed that it's not something that a lot of kindergarten educators feel very comfortable or naturally inclined to include. And I really wanted to kind of break down that barrier and encourage everyone that you can definitely do it and your littles will definitely love it. And that brings us to the end of this episode of A Playful Podcast. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to so you don't miss the next episode. And until then, sparkle and shine.